Galatians 4, let's stand together please. Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians is not an easy book. It's one of the more difficult books I believe that Paul wrote as far as trying to understand his concern. Yet there's something very fundamental and essential about this writing that if we'll get a hold, hold of it, I believe we'll experience the freedom, the liberty that God designed and that he wants us to have. And, um, and one of the, the emphasis that Paul's trying to get across is that we don't work to earn salvation. That's why we can't lose it. We didn't do anything to get it. You didn't work for it. You didn't buy it. You didn't deserve it. All you did was take a gift and the gift is a person. It's not something or you could lose that something. But it's a person and that person said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so he's trying to get across, you don't earn your salvation, but he's also trying to get across, you don't earn your victory either. So a lot of people trust Jesus to get saved, but then they try to live the Christian life by the, the way many a religious unsaved person tries to get salvation. They try to get victory by what they do. They try to, to merit it. They try to deserve it. They try to to live a certain way to get victory. And Paul's trying to get across, God saved you from the bondage, but by the way you're living, you're going right back into the bondage that he saved you from. You might be saved, but you're saved and in bondage now. And so he's trying to get across here now in chapter four about maturity and maturing the people of God. And that's his burden. And we looked at again, this matter of going back to the, the things God saved you out of to find satisfaction, that's not the interest. You won't grow by going back to the things that kept you in bondage. And so now let's pick up our reading in verse number 12. Paul says, brethren, I beseech you. Do you know of another place where he's used those words? Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul's saying, I'm telling you my heart here. I'm very serious and, and I'm very sober about what I'm about to say to you. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, referring to these Judaizers, these influencers, these agitators who've come into the church, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. 
But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I'm going to read verse 20 just to complete the sentence. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul is concerned because he has seen the influence of these Judaizers, these agitators. They've gotten in and Paul's describing his burden, his ministry, and he's contrasting his zeal towards them versus the zeal of the agitators, the Judaizers. And Paul begins to talk about his infirm, uh, infirmity, the, the uh, physical illness that he had. And, and from this and other passages, and, but especially I believe brother, uh, um, Dr. Childs would, would also tell us that the book of Galatians bears a lot of weight upon why people think that Paul's great thorn in the flesh or problem could have been his eyes. And he had problems uh, with his eyes and, and whether or not that was a thorn in the flesh, we'll always speculate, but there's a, a lot of Bible scholars, which I am not, who would conclude that based upon this. And he says that God's people that he led to the Lord, that he pointed to Christ, they took Paul in and they didn't look down upon him because he had physical weakness. They didn't look at him and say, well, he wouldn't be elected president of Rome, but um, so I don't know if we should have him. No, they looked at him as a messenger of God, an angel. They looked at him as God's man and they received him well. But then he said something changed. It's the agitators who got in, but something changed with the Galatians. And Paul asked the question in verse number 15. Look at it. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? What is Paul saying here? Well, he's asking a question and he's asking, what happened to your joy? Where's the blessedness? Where's the rejoicing? Where is now your joy. I think it's a good question for the Galatians. Boy, they are going deep into rules. But they're far from having the right relationship that Jesus died to give them. And so Paul says, if you're right, why is it you don't have joy? You used to, but you don't anymore. The question was good enough for Paul to ask the Galatians. The Holy Spirit thought it was good enough to put in the Bible. So it's good enough for us to ask this morning on anniversary Sunday. Where's your joy? Where is your joy? Thank you. Please be seated. Paul is identifying that a change has occurred in the lives of God's people here, and it's not for the better. Clearly something has happened, and Paul sees a difference has occurred. He sees it in two ways. One, in the response to suffering. 
Notice in verse number 15, he says that, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if, ye had been, if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. He, he sees they're, they're no longer rejoicing once there is suffering and hardships that come into their life. But he also sees a change, not only in response to when problems occur, but also a shift in the attitude that they had towards Paul. There was a time where they looked at Paul and they, they knew Paul was not coming to them by design of, on Paul's end, but they recognized God had led Paul to come to them. And, and they rejoiced in that God allowed Paul to preach to them. And, and they, they saw Paul, they saw his, his struggling, they saw the, 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 the physical limitation. And Paul says, there's a time you would have, if you could have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. But he said, something's happened. You're not following the Lord like you used to because you're not following the Lord's messenger like you used to. Let me just remind us here, this is not a self-serving statement regardless of what you think. It's just a scriptural principle. No one is following the Lord is my shepherd. No one follows the Lord to be your shepherd if you don't follow the Lord's under-shepherd. See, we like the pie in the sky. I'm following the Lord, but we don't like the Lord's litmus test as to whether or not that's occurring. And Paul's trying to get them to see we're 16 messages into this and there's a whole lot more in between we could have parked on. And Paul's trying to get them to see you're not experiencing the liberty and the freedom with the Lord and partly because you've not been following the man, the angel, and the angel in the sense of a messenger that God has placed in your life. He says, so your attitude, your response to suffering, your attitude towards the messenger of God. And it's a sad development for Paul, but it's even sadder for the Galatians. Well, how did this happen? Well, what are they struggling with? Well, one of the things they're struggling with is going back to Old Testament laws and, and rituals and learning about this covenant of circumcision. And that's what they've been talking about. Is this how they got off? Because they got into some deep Old Testament Bible truth. No, that's not what got them off. A lot of people can hide behind a theological stance and we're going to take a stand on this issue and become known for this issue. And we're going to take stands on issues as long as the issues have been given an answer by the inspiration of God's word. But that's not what threw them off. What threw them off and, and, and got them into trouble and where Paul says, you're not like you used to be. You need to go back. You need to return. And Paul says the reason is because you've allowed the agitators of Satan to get into God's work in God's church. And the Judaizers would have no impact upon the church of God if it were not for people listening to these agitators, these who are trying to disrupt and persuade. In fact, in chapter 5 and verse number 7, Paul says it this way, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? 
Well, you say it's those agitators. Well, sure, those agitators have always been around, but they are not going to make any difference if you don't listen to them. He says in verse number eight of chapter five, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. He says in, um, in, in chapter number one and verse number six, reminding us of these who have gotten in and influenced. So why do Christians, why do Christians like the Galatians veer off course? Well, typically what happens is, again, they come under the unhelpful and even harmful influence of others. The crisis in Galatia is case in point. Here were people who were led to the Lord by Paul and who were being discipled by Paul. But these agitators got traction in Galatia. And partly is because these agitators made a few statements. They, they made a few statements to hungry, young converts in Christ. They made statements like, you know, Paul's good. You know, Paul doesn't know everything. Oh, oh he doesn't? What, do you think Paul's God? Well, no, I don't guess Paul is God. Well, we know some things that Paul doesn't know. And it begins just to, to sprinkle out there. You know, statements like that have caused a lot of churches to become split. You know, here's something like this. I don't agree with Pastor Ingram on everything. Neither do I. Well, what does that do for the cause of Christ? Let me just put it this way. Brother and Mrs. Audrey been married. How, how long did you say you said this morning? 52 years. And Mrs. Autry, who's been a faithful, steady servant of the Lord and, 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 and helped meet to Brother Autry, if she just made a statement at lunch today, Love Canaan Baptist Church, what God has done in our lives. Love my husband, how he's let God use him. But I don't agree with my husband on everything. Well, how in the name of common sense is that going to help any marriage? Whoever thought that every couple agrees absolutely 100% with everybody or, or with their spouse? What, what couple in the entire world? You know what that is? They're just pebbles of doubts sprinkled to undermine what God is ultimately trying to do. Well, 63 years, God's done a lot, but you know, I don't agree with Canaan Baptist Church on everything. Well, as long as there are people here, there's not going to be a complete agreement. In fact, some of you are going to have a hard time, I believe, when you get to heaven, still being in agreement with everything that's going on there. That's why God's got to change you. But how, how does that happen? I mean, what, what good are the agitators doing to these young converts to say, Paul's not told you everything? Well, the fact is, they couldn't handle everything. But Paul's told them what they needed to know. And if they would do what the Apostle Paul, if they would do what the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God has given them, it would sure help them. I said it would sure help them. And Paul would not be writing the book of Galatians if they were not listening to the agitators. 
Well, you know, these are good people. Agitators may have been good people. The Judaizers may have been good people. Jesus died for them. They needed to get saved if they weren't saved. They needed to get right if they, were, uh, if they had not yet gotten right. Good people is not the issue. God's plan is the issue. And the reason why Paul is stepping in is because this church of, here in Galatia, these believers, they, it did not belong to the Judaizers. It did not belong to the agitators. It did not belong to the Galatians. It did not belong to Paul. It belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why when there are agitators who come in and they start saying, I just don't like the way, I just don't like the way, I just, just as you, if you badmouth your spouse to others, it indicates not that your spouse may have a problem, but you've got the problem. And when you come into the church of the living God that Jesus has formed and Jesus has built with imperfect people, yet with a perfect plan of almighty God, and you come in and begin to say, I just don't agree, I just don't, well, you never will agree and you never will see it until you recognize your place is to follow lock, stock, and barrel the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's never been about dividing himself. Never has he been. And by the way, when you start criticizing the church, you're criticizing the bride of Christ and you better be careful when you start messing with his bride. I'm just telling you what Paul is trying to, to get across. And there's a problem. And Paul describes these agitators. What, what is it that these agitators do? Well, look at in verse 17. He says, here's what they do. They zealously affect you, but not well. In other words, he says, here's how they work. They flatter you. That's why the Bible in Proverbs speaks against flattery. Flattery is a tactic of politicians and and anybody else that's trying to get across their own agenda. Boy, you really, you, you, should, you should be teaching a Sunday school class. Boy, you should be, you should be leading. You, you're, you're, you're really the one that ought to be doing this. And, and, uh, and so, therefore, there's a lot of flattery. And they zealously affect, but not in a good sense, but not well. Not only do they use flattery, but on the other hand... Notice what he says in verse 17, but they would also exclude you. See, in other words, to, to people who are criticizers and dividers, they come in. And here's the thing that I have found in, in the course of 30 years in ministry is finding that people who are disgruntled many times have nothing in common with each other except that they have this one, this one small thing in common. They're all disgruntled. And so based upon their disgruntledness, they, they all pull together and, and they begin to use the same tactics as the Judaizers, Judaizers, the agitators. They flatter and then they marginalize. So the Judaizers are flattering the people of God, the, the, the Galatians, and they're trying to get them on board with them because what the agitators are doing is that they're trying to undermine Paul. And so they're flattering, trying to get the Galatians on board. But here's what they're also doing. They're excluding them. They're, 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 they're excluding. They're, we want you on board, but we, we don't want you in our clique. We want your vote. We just don't need your voice. 
We, we, we want you to, to stand up when we tell you to stand up, but we just don't, we don't, we don't want you, don't, don't think you're going to hang out with us. They're going to marginalize. And so here's what Paul is getting them to see. The way the agitators have ministered to you is the way the politicians work amongst us. And unfortunately, a lot of preachers are more like politicians than they are messengers of God. And they operate the same way. Flattery. And if you don't benefit me, then I'm going to marginalize you. It's politics. And I've said before, I have burnt a lot of bridges in our fundamental uh, networks because I get so weary of the politics. Oh, you, I'll invite you to this. You come, you preach for us, and you wear our jersey. There's a certain publication that comes in, and we still get it. I can't get them to stop sending it, but as soon as it comes in, the whole stack of them, they go in the, in the, uh, in the trash. I've stopped putting them in the trash for the last eight years. I've just recently stopped putting them in the trash because I figured out I can use them to burn with. And so I, I take them home to burn. But the reason why, the reason why I'm not putting them out, the reason why I stopped preaching at their conferences, and the reason why I stopped having them in, not only because they're covering, not only because they're covering adultery amongst the group and, and, uh, and pedophilia amongst the group until one of them gets arrested and then they may speak out in a political sense. But one reason is not just the immoral sense, but I'm so sick and tired of the politics. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, I'll have you in, you have me in, you come to our conference, then you promote our school, you promote us, you wear our jersey. And one of those preachers, he's preached here before, but probably won't ever again, maybe during the tribulation, maybe, and that's, um, uh, and that's still, that's not up to me. But um, he said, Doc, we're having you in, now you decide which jersey you're going to wear. I said, I get a jersey in this conference? I knew what he meant. He said, you, you got to decide, are you on our team? And he named some other groups. Are you going to be on their team? I said, I'm on the same team as the one who saved me when I was nine years old. And if it doesn't work well for you, then, then you don't have to have me in. We don't have to run together, but I've got to stick with the one who saved me. He called me. You didn't call me. You may have picked up the phone and called me, but the call of God is not on my life based upon whether my phone rings or not. Listen, I'm not here. I'm not here because Canaan Baptist Church called me. I'm here because God put me here. And I'm not an employee of Canaan Baptist Church. Filling out my medical records, they ask for my employment, it looks that way. Canaan Baptist Church can stop giving me a check. I'm not here based upon the, the, the will of Canaan Baptist Church alone. I'm here because of the will of the Father. And so the loyalty ought to belong to him. And Paul is trying to get the people to see you've fallen into the hands of the agitators. They flattered you but they're also excluding you. Why are they doing that? Paul gets them to see. It's because they're not trying to help you. They're trying to help themselves. Practically, that's what is happening in Galatia. Notice what he says in verse 17. They zealously affect you, but not well, it's not to your benefit. Yea, they would exclude you. They, they would marginalize you. Why? That ye might affect them. In other words, 
Here is what many a preacher will do. Here's what many ministries do. They will flatter. They will use you to build their ministry. When what God does is he takes a man and he takes a man like David and he puts him out in a pasture to watch his father's sheep and Lion and a bear come along and, and David doesn't see. There's a big picture down the road. He just sees, I've got to do what God has me to do right here. And I got to defend these sheep. They don't belong to me. They belong to my father. And a lion and bear come along. He kills the lion and the bear. Why? Because the lion and the bear can't have his daddy's sheep. And God sees he's faithful in a few things and God puts him in a place where, you know why David went up against Goliath? It's because his daddy said, you know, you go check on your brothers. He's obeying the will of his father. And he shows up and he sees an uncircumcised Philistine blaspheming the God of heaven. You know the story, David. He went out and they said, how can you go against this giant? And he said, because God was faithful to me with my father's sheep, with the lion and the bear, and God will be faithful to me with this uncircumcised Philistine. God took Moses and put him on the backside of a desert for 40 years. And there he learned that he's not going to serve based upon his own comfort and his own choosing, but based upon the choosing and the will of his father. And God equipped him so that he could lead and he could lead the people that did not belong to Moses. They were not Moses's people. They were God's people. And what God does is he takes a man and when he calls a man to preach, it's a call to not proclaim, not stand in the pulpit and preach at people, but a call to preach is a call to prepare. And I see people who all the time talk about God called me to preach but they want to preach without preparation and God doesn't call a man to preach without preparing that man oh God brings a prepared man to a prepared people because God has a plan to show and display the mighty power of God and what happens what happens too often is a man who is a preacher gets off somewhere and he will take a people and use of people to build his ministry. And after a period of time when they no longer benefit him, it moves on. And that's why the average stay in the United States of America of a pastor is three years or less. Because that's about all the use he could get out of the people for his ministry. But what God is trying to do is take a man, build a man, and use a man to build the people of God. It is God who does the building. We're just a vessel. I've said so many times, God's used Canaan Baptist Church to build this man, and he continues to do so. For what reason? So that God can use this vehicle of the under-shepherd position that God created to build the sheep that belong to him. Canaan Baptist Church does not belong to me. The sheep do not belong to me. Just as David was defending his daddy's sheep, I'm just here protecting the sheep of your heavenly father. But my responsibility is to him. It's him. Ultimately to him, I will stand and give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so will you. So I preach for the audience of one. And I'm thankful that God has a plan and God's working that plan. But in this midst of Paul trying to help these Galatians, he sees that something's changed. These agitators, yes, they've gotten in. He's pointed that out. But what's happened is they listened to him. They allowed these agitators to affect. And then he writes this matter that's on his heart. Look again in verse number 15. 
And Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 15, Where is then the blessedness you spake of? Where is therefore your spiritual prosperous state you once had? Or plainly, where's your joy? You used to have joy. For some here this morning, you could say, Joy is just as real and just as vibrant as light in my heart as it was the day I trusted Christ. For others, you have to say, well, I still experience joy, but not like I did at one time. And maybe there's still others who would say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm really not enjoying it. I'm really not experiencing the freedom and the joy of the Lord. Many people in the Bible lost their joy. David lost his joy and he had to pray Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Many a person has gone AWOL. They, they've, they've departed. They're absent without official leave and they've lost their joy. And so Paul is asking them, what's happened to your joy? Let me give you these things real quick. And, and um, we're here for the afternoon, so I promise we will be done by one. And um, so we can get to the mill. And uh, well, so if, if you'd make it on time, we'd get done early. And, and so I'm trying to help those who've, who've come in late and you missed the song service and everything. So I want to help you out here. Number one. No, we'll be done here in just a few minutes. Liberating joy is not dependent upon outward circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon your outward circumstances. In other words, your joy does not depend upon your feelings, your health, your income, your job, your finances. This all affects your happiness. Happiness is based upon happenstance. Your hap is how you are right now. But joy is a deeper quality than that. And Paul presents himself as the example to follow. He tells God's people, he said, I came to you and I didn't have the, the best physical health. I had limitations. I had obstacles. I had enemies. And he said, but I preached unto you, verse number 13. He said, I preached the gospel to you and I didn't stop until everyone heard and until God had, had nudged me to move on. And Paul's reminding him that joy does not depend upon circumstances. You know, the Galatians demonstrated real love when they received Paul. He said, you were sacrificial, you were giving, you were loving, but something changed. What changed? Well, God didn't change. It's just circumstances change. And when their joy is depending now upon circumstances, you, you will not maintain the joy of the Lord. Because God's joy does not depend upon circumstances, a second thought. Joy is not dependent upon the personal attractiveness of the messenger, but rather on the power of the message. Joy is not dependent upon the personal attractiveness of the messenger or the ability of the messenger, but upon the power of the message. See, these people came to Paul and, and some have indicated that there would have been a, a pus that would have come from all, Paul's eyes. Difficult to look upon. A, a, a short in stature being a Jew, a bug-eyed Paul, and struggling with this, this physical 
limitation. And yet Paul says, you didn't look at that and, and, and write me off. You didn't see I had limitations. I was not perfect. Too many times churches have chosen a man based upon ability and looking at a resume. I tell you the problem with the resume. It usually says what the person wants them to say. Rather than looking to see if the power of God is present. Well, he plays this. He started this. He does this. He's written this. He can do this. Those may be good things. But do you know that every immoral preacher could do the same thing? It's the power of God. And joy ought to be dependent upon the the power of the message. I'm going to tell you that's encouraging to me. Because it's not based upon ability. Dr. Childs has done an awful lot, started churches, written, he has preached, he's pastored, he's done a lot in Bible college. Here he is at 93 years of age, but you know God's hand of power still is upon Dr. Childs. It's not upon him just when he can see well and hear well, when he can preach well, and when he has physical ability, because that's not where joy comes from. Joy comes from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that changes not. Let me give you a third thought. Joy depends upon a continued walk with God. Joy depends upon a continued walk with God and trusting in His grace for everything. So Paul says, where's your joy? Let me ask you this morning, where's your joy? Do you know it's possible to lose your joy and not even realize it at the moment? Where's your joy? You know, there are some things and ways in which we see from the Galatians that can help us know when our joy is gone. How can you tell when your joy is gone? Let me give you a few of these and and then we'll stop. One is we see with the Galatians when there's a relapse into legalism. When there's a relapse into legalism, your joy is gone. What does the relapse into legalism mean? It means that while they're saved, they are living by rules, embracing the rules and loving rules more than they love the rule giver. They they are feeling like I'm pretty good because I don't do this, I do this, and I, I strive to be dead right. There's a lot of people in our church that strive to be dead right and they end up being both. Because you can dot every I, cross every T, you can hold the line, you can be as as, uh, uh, straight and narrow, but what happens is you can do all those things because you, you grit your teeth and you hunker down with good discipline. You determine, I'm going to do this, I'm not budging, I'm not swerving, I'm not compromising but your heart's still being cold and lifeless and dead. And God's people, the Galatians, they relapse into a legalism. They were caught up with, I do this, I don't do this, I do this and I don't do this. But they lost sight of the one they, they were to have a vibrant relationship with. See, when your fundamentalism has ripped the life out of you, we don't leave fundamentalism We just need to be revived fundamentalist. 
See, the group that has left fundamentalism and, and they, they point their fingers at the fundamentalist, well, they leave fundamentalism. I, I don't see any place where I'm to leave the Bible. But you can carry your Bible, read your Bible, teach the Bible, and still be dead. The point is, embrace the Bible, but then get life. Get revived, return, get humble, get surrendered, be yielded to the one who died to save you, who was resurrected to deliver you. Get revived. Don't leave because you're dead. Don't leave those first principles. Don't leave the foundation of scripture because you're dead. Don't, because you're not gonna find life away from Jesus. Just get revived and stay with Jesus. But they relapsed into legalism. They just decided we're going to just trade rules around and we're going to follow different lists. How can you tell when your joy is gone? When you relapse into legalism. Here's another. You can tell when your joy is gone when you rebel against spiritual authority. When you rebel against spiritual authority. Do you know that people can keep all the rules, all the laws of the Bible outwardly and still rebel against spiritual authority? The, the ball's in your court. The burden is upon you. You won't find anywhere in your Bible, nowhere where you will find in your Bible that you can be sideways with spiritual authority and be right with God. You will not find that. You just won't find it. I've seen churches run off their pastor where the people who lived, ran off the pastor. They lived lives that were straight as an arrow, but they totally rebelled against the authority that God put over them. All those same people, they wouldn't tolerate it if their children did that to them in the home. If their wife did that, well, you know, they, they don't, a lot of them didn't have any control. And I will say this too, many a man who has gotten sideways with the pastor did so because he couldn't lead his own wife. And because he couldn't lead his wife, he thought he's going to overrun the pastor. And God will always take care of the messenger of God. Revelation chapter number one, two, and three, they're in the right hand of the father but woe be you if you rebel against spiritual authority. Hmm. I remember being in a church years ago preaching as an evangelist and remember hearing the pastor say, he's known, he was known as a prayer warrior. He's in heaven now. But he said when he was pastoring, he said he had a couple of deacons rise up against him in, in an issue. And he just told them, he said, men, you're, 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 you're walking in a very dangerous place. There's a way to handle. You handle God's problems God's way. The way you're handling it is the way the world handles it. You're, you're, you're walking on dangerous territory. Well, this pastor, um, he began to, to challenge these men. He's trying to help them. And he said, God will take care of me. God will take care of his church. But you're walking on dangerous footing. And they refused. They, re they began to send out letters to the church members and just doing all kinds of different things. And this pastor, he's known as a prayer warrior. And he said, I just set out to pray. And he says, I begin to pray. And he said, and I, he prayed, he said, God, I led these men to you. They belong to you. But if they don't get right with you, God, would you kill them? In a week's time, two of his deacons had heart attacks. He was, I was there in the conversation where he told this story in a prayer meeting. Pastor Van Gelderen, who you know, was sitting there. 
and uh, he was telling this story. We kind of chuckled because we, we knew, and others were there from his church who said, we could tell you even more stories than that of what happened in this situation. But, but this pastor turned over to Pastor Van Gelder and said, if you need me to pray for you, for your people, I'd be glad to do so. Pastor Van Gelder said, no, not right now. Let, let, me, let me work through it uh, here this way. But I'm telling you, it's dangerous. There have been people here in my short time that didn't handle it right. I think they went to a premature grave. Don't mess with God's people. Don't mess with the people of God. Don't be an agitator. Don't do that. It's, it's, it's not going to go well for you. Jesus hasn't lost a battle yet. Now, you can tell when the joy is gone when you rebel against spiritual authority. Let's move on. We didn't get too many amens on that one there, but here we go, number three. There's a resistance to the truth. When there's resistance to truth, Paul's preaching that they need to be mature. He's preaching here. They need to hear the word, but he makes it clear that he's not going to compromise the message. And in verse 17, again, he's talking about these Judaizers. They're coming in, and, and, and what's happened is it's caused the, the Galatians to resist the truth. And Paul explains to them in verse number 19, he says, you're my little children in the sense he's talking to them like a father would talk to his children. He says, my heart goes out to you, but resist. Resisting the truth is not the way you grow. Resisting truth is not the way to go. Resisting truth is not how you're going to experience liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. Resisting truth. And it's always shocking to me, and I'm, I'm always puzzled when somebody gets kind of sideways and they just say, I, I just don't know about this. I just don't know about this part of discipleship. I just don't get, I don't know. I don't, and, and I'm thinking, you're, you're not right with God. Your marriage didn't work out. You don't understand enough how to get out of the stronghold and sin in your life. Why are you trying to affect others who need help, who are here because they want Jesus to help them? Why are you trying to spew out your way of failure to take precedence over what God's trying to do in their life? Why don't you just get humble and honest and say, I've been resisting truth. I need revival. I don't need to rebel against authority. I don't need to relapse back into rules and just regulations. I need to fall back in love with Jesus. And I don't need to resist truth. I don't need to hold out. Some of you have been holding out on joining a church. Don't expect to get victory in your life when you're avoiding the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't expect victory in your life as long as you're holding out until you good and well. You know, we've got a problem with people who come across our borders illegally, but they want to enjoy the benefits of our country. But people do it in church all the time. They want to enjoy the benefits without becoming a part. And it was Paul in 1 Corinthians who calls it a body. In other words, it's connected. There's something, it's not Mr. Potato Head. There's some that have looked like that. I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about the organization. But, but Paul says there's something divine in the DNA of a church. It's here so you can have joy. 
But some of you have lost your joy. Jesus is waiting. He'll meet you on his terms. Let's stand together, please.